0: is hannah heinziker and i'm here today with luke miller who is one of the leaders of the pink Meno movement and lives in chicago um we're sitting here looking out at lake michigan which is lovely it's a very nice setting for our conversation so thanks luke for being willing to join me today
1: yeah thanks i'm interested to have this conversation on the podcast
0: We're a few weeks out from convention now, but I know there are a lot of people still thinking about the Future Church Summit and wondering what the next steps are with responding to the work that was done there. But before we really dive into that piece, I wonder if you could talk a little bit about Pink Menno's overall participation and presence at Orlando 2017. I know you all had a room where you hosted a variety of events, you were involved in a number of seminars. Um, Some of the events, like an inclusive worship service, were integrated into convention this time. How did you all plan for your presence this year, and was it different than past years?
1: There were some big differences from past years. Um, I would say the differences involved being more integrated into the convention than it has felt in past years. The first big way was that people from BMC Inclusive Pastors were invited to choose about 20 people to be part of the future church summit as official participants and that felt very significant to be specifically invited to have voices that represented queer people in the church be sort of an official presence at the session that was happening so a lot of our energy and focus went into that which was something completely new from from the past Um, in the past we've kind of had to force our way into those spaces to even have a voice even if we're the people they're talking about the other one was that the Inclusive Worship Service, which we've done other years at uh, event spaces off um, the con- off the campus of the convention center, was also an official part of the convention. That was great. This year we focused on commemoration of the lives of the victims of the Orlando Pulse Massacre, which was shooting at a gay nightclub um, that had happened a year before in Orlando. That gave, I think, a different flavor um, to our presence. I I personally felt much more just like a normal part of convention, that I wasn't standing out a lot. Even walking around in a pink t-shirt felt kind of very normal to me. It didn't feel like it was any kind of act of unexpected or radical. But I think something about our presence has been shifting where people expect us and and recognize that we're there. Other things we did are things that are very um, similar to things we've done in the past. There was a room that we held. We had some events in the room. The biggest one was a youth summit where we invited high school youth to come and talk about the future of the church, especially queer youth, and uh, especially focusing on um, justice around queer issues. That was an exciting event. We had some other workshops. Uh, we had our t-shirts. We had some hats this year. Um, oh, and I should mention one other thing that was that was different was that three of the. Workshops that BMC, which uh, for those who don 't know is another um, is the organization that's been working for queer issues in the Mennonite Church for f- more than forty years now um, had some of their workshops accepted so there was a workshop of inclusive pastors workshop for uh, parents of LGBT kids um, and a workshop talking about congregations becoming inclusive so those were all part of the official convention
0: so i 'm realizing that Pink Meadow is celebrating sort of a 10-year anniversary now, is that right? Because you all began at Columbus in 2007?
1: Uh, Columbus 2009. So this is eight years. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Eight years. Yeah. But yeah, but it does feel like we've kind of been around for a while now. Yeah. You know, like I, I think every year we don't really know what's coming around the corner or whether, what we're going to be up to. But yeah, it's kind of feel like we're uh, at a different stage certainly than we were in 2009.
0: Well, what did that Future Church Summit process feel like to you as a participant?
1: It felt, overall, like a really meaningful and good experience of being part of a community. Certainly not a community that was without some fear and some confusion. At the beginning, when there were people in pink t-shirts who I knew, uh, most of them queer people getting up to talk on the stage during some of the plenary sessions, uh, which were different forms of being able to speak at, sort of in an open mic. I felt a lot of fear, and I felt a sort of internal, kind of internal protective mode I can go into when I see, or see queer people who are exposing themselves and their voices in spaces that seem like they might be hostile. But I was able to breathe through that and realize that we had been asked to be there officially and that we had just as much of a sort of officially sanctioned voice as anyone else in the room and then it started to feel very powerful and i felt just very happy and proud that we were able to have that voice Um, i I was at a fantastic table that was very um, open and supportive and interesting and lots of people with diverse backgrounds but no one that i felt wasn't happy that i was there
0: yeah that's good and i know addie lichty who is a member of pink Meadow, maybe also bmc or primarily pink minnow um, from San Francisco led one of the prayer times and music times kind of helping to focus people as part of that process and then eventually you even felt like you could speak during one of the plenary sessions and stood up and I wonder if you would summarize some of what you shared during the Future Church Summit for the folks listening on Peace Lab who weren't in that room
1: Sure, um, that was, I, I got up and, and talked during a plenary session that was focusing on the question about what are the implications of uh, having diverse or diversity in the church Um, And what I talked about was thinking about diversity in the church, not even as a practical issue, but as sort of a spiritual or theological question. Why did God create us to be diverse? You know, what's God's intentions in having a diverse church? Uh, And specifically, why did God create queer people and put them in the church? (laughs) Um, And I, I gave my thoughts on that answer, which was that we we can help be prophets and teachers and leaders, especially at this moment, um, maybe especially in areas around sexuality, um, but in lots of other ways as well.
0: At the end of the Future Church Summit, there was sort of this outcomes document that was generated that, you know, a theme team had kind of worked on to try to distill some of the threads and common themes that they saw emerging throughout the week. And I wonder if you could speak a little bit about what in that group of outcomes resonated with you, and was there anything um, that you hoped to see there that maybe didn't emerge from the conversations?
1: I think something I love about that document is how it feels like everyone in the room was simply invited to give the best of what they brought to the church and what they bring to the church, and throw it all together in a pot and just say this is who we are without having to say everyone in this room agrees with every line in this document or that we all agree, you know, in, in how we should carry out these, these ideas and goals. So that felt like a very wonderful and different way of thinking about how to be a church together. Um, a lot of what emerged that I really resonated with, a lot of people talked about working for justice, but from lots of different angles justice for indigenous people, justice for people of color, um, queer queer people, inclusion for queer people. I think what overall emerged from that was how the church can't necessarily pick and choose to focus on one specific justice movement for another, but that working towards justice in, in an overarching sense is central to who we are as a church. At a certain point, the theme team announced when we were talking about what was central to us, to a church, that it was... Jesus community and peace which and then everybody in the room kind of laughed because those are the themes that you know always tend to come out when Mennonites actually get down and talk about who we are. And I, there was certain there was a certain comfort in me feeling like yeah, you know that's who we are, that's who we've been, that's who we're pretty much going to be in the future. There wasn't necessarily specific actions for how to move forward that came out in that document. I don't think there was necessarily time to do that in the future church summit and maybe it wasn't the right space or format, so while it would be great to see specific actions come forward from it, I understand why we didn't get to that as part of the process.
0: Yeah, and this sort of brings us to kind of the final movement in this process, which for those who weren't there, you know, the Future Church Summit met and included folks who were not delegates. I think about 100 individuals who had been invited in. Part of that was invitations to constituency groups for people of color to invite more people, some of the folks that BMC and Inclusive Pastors helped to select. And so in that final delegate session, there's this time when the executive board presents a resolution asking for delegates to kind of take action to affirm this as the direction for the denomination. There's kind of this open mic time, and several people speak during that time, kind of raising some concerns about calling this a direction. The resolutions committee amends it to include this word, saying that we're going to use this document kind of for discernment moving forward. That movement has had a lot of conversation about it and what the change in that language meant, especially because I think discernment has had some loaded connotations in Mennonite process. And you actually blogged after the convention about this final delegate session. And one line that stuck out to me as I read your post, and I'm going to read it here to make sure I get it right, is, Mennonites, your violence is smooth and soft, and you pack your tongue screws in the mushiest, darkest velvet. And I wonder if you can talk a little bit about this delegate session and unpack a little bit about what felt so disappointing about that session to you.
1: Sure, yeah. The violence that can come through in Mennonite process that I've noticed tends to happen in a way where people don't even necessarily think about what's going on. Everybody is thinking of themselves as doing something necessary or good. And another theme that always comes up is that language is used to obfuscate and hide rather than to form any kind of clarity. It's. It's. I think Mennonites have a tendency when there's controversy or fear to hide behind vague language that keeps people from finding out about each other and about what each other believe rather than clarity. <laughs> so <laughs> that's part of what I was getting at in the, in the blog post. And what happened in that last short rushed delegate session after the Future Church Summit was maybe a, an echo or a, or a small, mild version of that. And I, I think especially back to the membership church guidelines resolution in kansas city as maybe a very much more major and uh, consequential version of that of that form of violence where vague language is pushed through an unclear process where people don't actually know the outcomes of what they're voting on and then the people with power are able to take the wording and do something they wanted to do with it that last session there was some anxiety expressed about the document that had been produced and about the language that we were going to use to offer the document to the church and to give it any kind of power Um, and when it comes down to the exercise of power I think that's where Mennonites can really fall short of analyzing truly what is happening and what is the actual will of of the church so the fact that, that a few people expressed anxiety about the word direction was never hashed out to mean what do we actually want to do with this document and what's the language that can capture that. Rather it was just walking back the language, putting something up there that still felt to me, still felt to most people in the room like it was affirming the document and then never really talking about what's the difference between this resolution and, and the one that eventually got passed.
0: Do you have thoughts about that word discernment specifically and how it's been used? One thing that I think many people have acknowledged, even the resolutions committee, is that the process itself in the delegate session was not consistent and was rushed in a way that didn't end up necessarily being helpful. But is there something about that one word that also signals something?
1: True discernment implies connection among people and mutual vulnerability and is... A process that has to be taken with utmost care, especially when happening in a large group of people, a diverse group of people who don't know each other very well. This, I think the smaller the group, the more people know each other, the more inorganic and, and of the spirit discernment can be. I think in a institutional context, that word has been used to, it's been used in a way to mean something that is different than what true discernment means. (laughs) It often means we've just decided not to deal with something or that it would be too painful or scary to recognize what's really in the room. So we're going to tread water and hide things from each other for as long as we can.
0: Well, so now here we are almost, not quite two months past the convention and the future church summit. And it sounds like there were some things about that outcomes document that felt really good to you. And I wonder if you could say more about how or if you think that document will continue to be engaged by BMC or Pink Menno. And also, I guess, if you might have hopes for how that document would be engaged by the church.
1: I think the document is actually pretty amazing that it's happening right now in the Mennonite church. Because it's, in my mind, a good starting point for addressing where maybe we are, as, are at as a broader society. Um, we, were, we were chatting a little bit about how it's strange to be thinking back to Future Church Summit when Charlottesville has happened and there's been this new visibility of uh, forces of white nationalism and white supremacy in, in the country that I think a lot of us are sort of emotionally, spiritually reeling from. And I think there's a sense that there's a spiritual crisis in the country in general, and I, I think the the Future Church Summit document is, is maybe a way of starting to realize as a church that that is central to what we have to work on. Um, something we've been talking about in BMC and Pink Minnow within the last couple of years, conversations that I've been part of, is how we as a, as a justice movement can't be just about specific changes to specific rules in some specific institution, because ultimately that's a fragmented and, and view of, of what justice is, and that if we can't work towards goals of justice that are inclusive of everyone and find ways of making connections between the, the violence that's done with heterosexism and the violence that's done, you know, forces of white supremacy or the doctrine of discovery, other forms of institutionalized violence that have happened in our society and our church, um, that we, we can't really move forward for justice. So I think the Future Church Summit was, to to me, the document feels like the beginning of a great conversation, and it feels like maybe the beginning of some connections are being made that that have to come together.
0: Yeah, so as a participant myself in the Future Church Summit, this is maybe one of the first processes that I participated in the church that felt, I don't know, I was going to try to use something other than the word intersectionality, because that's become such a buzzword, but Really, I think it was one of the first times when I started to see people making connections between the ways just different systems of oppression are interlocking with one another, and so we can't try to address one piece of it without understanding how it's connected to others, or else we're not going to get very far. So that's hopeful to me, I think.
1: Something I've been thinking about, too, is how conservative voices were and weren't integrated into the future church summit. What, what, I, what I have hope for in the future is this idea of everyone just offering the best of what they have to bring, and I'd be interested in, in what it would look like if that was the paradigm people were working on in the future, rather, rather than having something that people felt like they had to control about whatever everyone else thought, about what would it simply look like if, there were, if everyone was invited to, to offer to everyone else the best of what they have to bring. I think that might cut through a lot of the divisions that have kept people who have their own individual silos of justice they're working for from making connections with each other.
0: Yeah, that's very helpful I think. And in some ways I think the Future Church Summit itself was an attempt to sort of say we're going to reset what we're doing together and try to do just that. Try to say what are the things that we are all doing well or each doing well that we can bring together to do something better collectively. And it'll be interesting to see where that goes moving forward.
1: One thing that has been incredibly fascinating for me in, in reading uh, opinion pieces, comments on Mennonite publication websites, um, and just any anything else I can get my hands on that, that Mennonites from across all sorts of spectrums of belief and opinions are talking about is that every single person who's mentioned queer issues has had something like the phrase, we know that the issue is... Only going to go in one direction, and that the church will be inclusive of queer people at some point in the future. I've, I've been fascinated by that. By I hear, I've heard conservative people say that. I've heard moderates people say that. I've heard you know progressives say that, and I keep asking myself why is that happening in this moment? And for me, I'm I'm thinking it maybe there's two major things. One is a recognition that maybe certain very conservative groups of people in the church are leaving or have decided to not participate in institutional processes. Maybe that's shifted the milieu enough that people are seeing change. Um, I think a big part of it is just the simple fact that queer people were inside the Future Church Summit room speaking openly without reservation and fear from the space of where they were at. And once people experience that they recognize that how you can't just eliminate that group of people and that voice from existing it's felt like a very rapid shift i don't i, I felt in kansas city that that I, I would have been very surprised to hear anybody use that kind of language
0: hmm. that's interesting um, and you're right that there has been a lot of reflecting on the general direction. I, some someone has used the word drift in some ways to imply that it's not intentional, but that that's how we're moving. And it is. And I'm not sure that's quite right. I think it's it's some of both. And I'm not quite sure what all has coalesced in the last two years. But the spirit of Orlando felt different to me. I don't know if it felt that way to you. At the Kansas City convention, there are more tears than I have seen at a Mennonite Church USA convention in a long time, I guess.
1: I think it connects back somehow to what we were talking about of intersectional justice. And I'm not, and these are vague ideas and I'm not sure exactly how to put them into words, but I think there was something in the Mennonite church that needed to break that maybe has broken and maybe we're now experiencing glimpses of what a wholeness could be on the other side of that. Maybe part of what's broken is a sense of a kind of ethnic Mennonite, a a centrality of a Mennonite ethnic identity that has been unspoken in some ways that maybe we joke about, but they don't really recognize the, the power that that can have to keep the church from fully becoming who it should be. And maybe part of what broke through at Kansas City was just a realization that Holding together an institution with simply for the sake of not changing or not recognizing difficult breaks that need to happen, um, I think we've kind of dealt with that and moved beyond that. And now we're open to what might might be able to happen on the other side. So, if it, it feels like the people who, at least the people who are showing up at the convention and who still want to be there, are bringing some exciting things that can happen in, in the future.
0: Very good. Well, thanks, Luke, very much for taking the time to talk with me for Peace Lab.
1: Yeah, thanks, Hannah. I'm I'm very happy to be part of the conversation and kind of fascinated to think about where we'll be next.